I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. It's a joy to be here. I was surprised and pleased when my good friend, Reverend Troy, uh, invited me to preach on this Mother's Day and uh, on the subject of Mary, the mother of God, um, which easily moves into we are all meant to be mothers of God. But some of us have trouble with that kind of language. And I, I want to be really authentic this morning and say I'm one of them. Because, not because I don't use inclusive language or feminine images for God or names, but because I grew up in a family where that was absolutely um, verboten. You just didn't do it. And if you did, it was a horrible heresy. Uh, I grew up in a loving family. My dad was a pastor. My two brothers are pastors. I'm the only woman pastor since my great-grandmother preached um, in Cleveland, Ohio. I saw her license for preaching um, when I was halfway through seminary. And before that, I thought I was the only one, uh, the only woman to go into the ministry and to be a preacher. Um, these things run really deep. And I tell you this only because... Um, I am very aware this morning of how deeply those, you know, do-nots um, and boys are more valuable than girls and, and men, you know, must have more education than women. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? All that kind of sexism that was just normal in the 50s and 60s for a lot of our families. And you think that you've outgrown it, you think that you've healed, you think that you are just right now in inclusive language and mother God, yes. And then something inside is saying, I don't know about this. In church, you know, in front of people. <laughs> like you, like anybody. Um, so that, that's, my, that's my confession, is that I am really surprised that how I've struggled today. I've never worked harder on a sermon, and this isn't, well... You'll hear. But uh, I've never worked harder on a sermon and had more barriers, and it's all internal. And this is why, starting with women now, and no matter how old or young we are, with, uh, ch our children, our boys, our girls, um, daughters, sons, we need to not let this happen to other generations, to be so, so masculine in our understanding of God. It's a hurtful thing. It warps up us in ways that God does not want us to be warped. God wants us to be whole and holy gods and um, thankful. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, is a title. I think if I were to title it now, I'd take off the quite contrary. But there are some contrary things about Mary that we might talk about. Um, we read in Luke, on the first uh, chapter, that uh, Mary is a young, unmarried woman. She is betrothed. She and Joseph are engaged. But they are now in the midst of that one year um, be between the betrothal and the marriage ceremony. So Mary is committed to living in holy marriage with Joseph at the end of this waiting year. Then something happens that's very contrary to their customs, their good Jewish customs in the first, uh, first century Palestine. Um, Mary has 
an unusual visitor. Now, remember, she's a teenager, could even be as young as 12. She was a very young woman, engaged and about to be married. But she has this visitor come, you'll know Gabriel by name, and Gabriel brings Mary some extraordinary news. You know what it is. Yeah. No, you haven't had sexual relations with, with Joseph or with any man, uh, but yes, you are going to conceive and carry a child and birth a child, and you're going to call him Jesus, which means, among other things, deliverance, for he's going to deliver his people from oppression, and his reign, his kingdom, will never end. Well, Mary hears all this and um, does not go does not go running away. She doesn't scurry under her bed and hide like, you know, a tornado's coming. Um, she hears all this, and you remember her answer. Mary says yes. Mary says yes to God. Yes to Gabriel, God's messenger. Mary says yes, I don't know how or when, but yes, I will do this. I will birth this child of God whose name is Jesus. So the, the uh, angel did give her some explanations about how this was going to happen, seeing as how she had not had sexual relations with the man. And Gabriel goes on to say, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and that is how you will conceive. And, uh, and this child will be born to be the savior of the world, the deliverer. This is God's promise to Mary and to Mary's people. And Mary hears all of this, and quite contrary to the mores of that day, to uh, what the normal young woman betrothed to be married uh, would say and do, quite contrary to that, Mary says yes. She accepts this role, this task of bearing this child, because she believes that she has been called by God to this task. She's the one who's been chosen. She believes the promise of pregnancy, even without sexual relations uh, involved in it, and she willingly accepts this task that has been given her. She may not fully understand all the angels said. I mean, who could understand all of that in a few moments? Um, but she says yes, and she has heard that news, and she trusts in God's promises, and she trusts that God will be with her, and she need not fear the gossip and the rumor-mongering that will go on, and what the neighbors say, and what the, what the religious people say. She trusts God more than she fears the consequences of being single and pregnant. Now, you know she is at risk for losing everything, she knows she could risk losing her husband to be Joseph. How is Joseph going to feel about all this? Her parents, you know, her relatives, her neighbors? Would they ever recover from the stigma that Mary would bring to the family? Think of all the ways that she must have been thinking about this, and then all of the more ways that others around her, surrounding her, were thinking of it. The Jewish people were probably not still into stoning women caught 
in, in indiscretions and in, in sexual situations. Stoning is something we hear about in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. It's probably not still happening in first century um, Palestine. But it's a possibility that people sometimes offer stoning her to death because of her trespass, her transgression. That was one of the possibilities, according to some people. So do you see how Mary risks everything to say yes to God? She risks her presence, her life, her future as a married woman with family and children. She risks the stigma. She risks being outcast, labeled, not acceptable in polite society. 700 years ago in Germany, a man whose uh, quote you have probably heard at some time or other, Meister Eckhart, he said these two lines, we are all meant to be mothers of God because God is always needing to be born. Isn't that wonderful? All of us, men, women, children, teens, older people, we are all meant to be mothers of God because God is always needing to be born. And if not through us, how is God going to be born exactly? If not through us and our loving of one another and our, and our um, respect for one another and all of our differences, um, how else will God be born if not through us? And that would make us mothers of God. This story of Martha and or of uh, Mary and Elizabeth goes on because, of course, Elizabeth has had a similar visit from an angel sometime earlier, some months earlier, about six months, if you add up uh, the the different parts of this gospel reading. And she who has been barren, she who is older, she who is elderly, is going to have a baby. She's going to have a baby whose name will be John, and we will know him as John the Baptist. She and Mary happen to be cousins, or maybe not happy to be cousins, because together they make a fuller story. And just a couple of days after Mary hears all of this news and says yes to the angel, yes to God, Mary is on her way to the hill country. They say it's something like 100 miles, so it would have taken her several days to get there to where Elizabeth lived with her husband, Zechariah, who was unable to speak because um, he had laughed. He had not believed God's promise to Elizabeth to, in her very old age, when she'd been barren all her life, in her very old age, to now bring forth this baby. So we have a very young woman, not married, but pregnant, carrying a baby. We have a very old woman, married, but barren. And that was a bad thing to be in those days. You know, women are worth pretty much was bearing sons for a lot of good reasons and some not so good. But um, so we have Mary and Elizabeth. Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house in the hill country in Judah and immediately they embrace each other 
And I want you just to think for a moment about these two women who live some distance apart, who are related as cousins, but the very remarkable things that have happened in their lives and how they would come together and begin to share. Yes, and I'm having a baby too, this old woman says. And yes, this young unmarried woman, yes, I'm having a baby. And my baby will be called John. Well, my baby will be Jesus. You know, back and forth. Don't you suppose they needed to be together because they needed to be mothering one another? What a situation they found themselves in. And they were both willing and they both said yes to God. But it gets a little scary, you know, six months in as Elizabeth is and Mary just at the beginning of her pregnancy. These are women at risk, except they trust in their God as mother to supply their needs, to guide them in the way they need to go to accomplish these tasks they've been given, to birth these babies, to change the world to help bring the kingdom of God to birth in our world. Well, this is Mother's Day, as Troy has already told us. And I want to talk just for a moment about, um, about the different ways of mothering that we might have or might know about. Um, I've always been aware that on Mother's Day, well, at least for 40 some years, 45 maybe, that on Mother's Day can be a very painful time, um, especially for women, especially if a couple, man and woman, man and man, woman and woman, remembering where I am here, uh, especially um, if infertility has been a problem, uh, if you've been unable to adopt, which many couples here would have been unable to do until recent years. Um, Mother's Day can be a really difficult time. And you may remember a mother who has been compassionate and loving and, and raised you in nearly every way to be, um, to be respectful of yourself and loving of yourself. And that's not always easy, is it? But it might also have been a mother in your family who had abandoned the family. Or you could have had a mother who was abusive. Or some mothers do their best and, and we fall woefully short. And all many, many other uh, scenarios we could mention. But today is the day that we honor mothers and the way we mothers, and all of us, men and women, love one another in motherly ways. Loving with nurturing and compassion. Uh, loving with respect. Um, loving as God loves all of us. And God gives us gifts to love one another that way. Before I had uh, two of my three children, um, this was decades ago, uh, <laughs> um, I had two miscarriages, then Samantha was born, and she's here today, but I'm not going to ask her to stand up. She will kill me. If, and on Mother's Day, you know, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> but she and my grandson Jake are here, and I'm so glad they could make it today because they attended another church in the city. Um, 
but this, this was decades ago. Uh, I'd had two miscarriages, which were very, very sad. Women in my family just kind of pop out babies all over the place. My mother had six, and my sisters, some of my sisters and brothers have six children, some adopted, but you know, it's just not an issue. But I'd lost two babies to miscarriage, and at that time anyway, you know, miscarriage was, oh, not a big deal. It wasn't really a baby yet. Oh, yes, it was. To me, it was already a baby, and I was already planning the baby being born, and, and all kinds of things that would happen in my life that would be different. But um, after Samantha and Nathan were born, Nathan's my son who lives in Boston, my gay son who came out on uh, Ash Wednesday um, in, 19, in uh, 1995, but that's a whole other story, uh, which <laughs> may I be glad to tell sometime. Um, I had two more miscarriages and uh, felt really badly about not having a large family like the women in my family did. So I had two beautiful children and, um, and uh, had lost four babies that I had really, really wanted. And I thought that I had recovered. I mean, this was in the 70s and 80s. And I thought I was fully recovered. Well, I was with my husband where he was doing an interim, uh, intentional interim ministry for several months at a church west of here, out near Katy. And a family, a young couple, had had five, had lost five babies in a similar way to how I'd lost them. And while we were there is when they lost their fifth baby. And oh, I just felt so badly for them. And um, uh, and I told them that and hugged them and, and shared my story just a little bit with them to comfort them. But one Sunday afternoon, this is just before Christmas, um, we gathered back in that little sanctuary in that country church, and the pastor, who happened to be my husband David, who, my, the pastor who came in began saying some words of comfort and some words of, of, of um, consolation to the parents. It wasn't just the mom and the dad now with no children. It was the whole extended family was there, grandpas and grandmas and cousins and aunts and uncles. And David hadn't been talking probably 10 seconds when to my shock and dismay, my eyes were tearing up. And before I knew it, tears were absolutely streaming down my face. And I didn't really have any handkerchief or anything. And I'm sitting there in, in the back near some other folks in this congregation, and we don't know these folks very well. David's just been there a couple of months, and we'll finish one more month. Um, but I couldn't stop crying, and so I cried through the whole thing, knowing that it, there were tears that I would have, could have, should have shed if there'd been a service like that, um, acknowledging the loss of those babies when I was having miscarriages. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? It, a pain that I thought was all relieved, um, a loss that I thought was well grieved, but it was still there because there hadn't been prayers over it. There hadn't been people talking about miscarriage as losing a baby, like a, a, a new life is gone. So when I think about Mother's Day, I think about mothers and families in all kinds of situations. And today I'm particularly thinking about that couple um, who lost another baby in the years since, since uh, David was a pastor with them. Now back to Elizabeth, who, though seemingly impossible, has become pregnant 
and Mary has come to share with her. Um, I'm aware of inclusive language uh, for God and for people. Um, I've been aware of that really since seminary, um, and it's been a very big deal for me to be inclusive uh, as far as is humanly possible, whether I'm preaching or just speaking to another person or visiting with somebody uh, in the hospital or, or whatever the situation. But I didn't realize until this morning how, um, how growing up in, a, in a, a pretty fundamentalist evangelical family with all kinds of pastors and you know lots of church, but particularly in our family, I did not realize that sexism hangs on way longer than you think it's going to, even if you're a woman fully committed to being inclusive with words and images. And as I said in the first service, and I couldn't understand why I was so nervous, but I think that this was really it. Um, I was talking about God as mother. I, I, uh, I shared Eckhart's um, uh, mothers are, uh, God is always needing to be born, so we all need to be mothers of God. And that, um, if my dad was sitting here, do you know what he would do? <laughs> do you know what he would do? He would get up and, and probably say something and for sure leave. Um, and some, I thought that was all gone and it's not. So the power of words and the power of images when we're talking about one another and even more when we're talking about the holy, when we're talking about God, you cannot overestimate how powerful these words and images are and how hurtful they are, how destructive they are if they're all male and you're a girl. If all the images and words are about him and father, father, son, and Holy Ghost, which by the way, I don't know why, but my family of origin, it seemed like my dad was God, the father. My brother was the son, which he was, uh, and my mother was the Holy Ghost. I mean, I didn't even know that till years later, but you see how it goes? Those things go deep and they take a long time to heal. So let me wrap this up by saying, even when words are troubling to us, even when names for God or images for God don't feel quite right, I encourage you to lean into them and keep being open to them as I want to, probably the rest of my life it's gonna take. It was so drilled into me that God is male and masculine uh, pronoun, masculine uh, images were always, always used for him, only masculine. But God has the power to change, to change the hurts, to change the wounds, to heal completely the things that keep us from being fully God's children, fully loving the way of Jesus, all people. You know, in the family of God, just nobody is not included. Every single one of us and every single one of the people we call them, they're all included in the family of God. God's love is so wide and so broad and so deep that there is no end to it. And our, our job, our task, the angel coming to speak to us this morning is saying, love one another as God has loved you. 
Don't throw anybody away because everyone is worthy. Every one of us is a mother of God because God is always needing to be born. Thanks be to God. Amen.